0: if you have have your Bible, the title of this morning's message is How to be Wrong. I know none of us like hearing we're wrong, uh, but sometimes uh, the most glorious thing that can ever happen to us is finding out that we're wrong. Because once you know where you're wrong and how you're wrong, uh, you can then proceed to figure out how you can be made right. And I was just thinking uh, uh, how timely uh, my prep on this message was uh, as uh, I had uh, an acquaintance I uh, made last year uh, come by and visit the church uh, who is wrong uh, in many of the ways uh, that Jesus' opponents are wrong in this verse. Uh, 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 you might have remembered from prayer meeting, I've asked uh, uh, all of you to be in prayer for Bruce Bowman, uh, who's a Jehovah's Witness in our area. Well, uh, September, uh, their headquarters had given them to go, had to go door to door. And so while he was in the neighborhood this week, he came by to say hi to me. I I think I'm probably uh, safe to say the first pastor who's had a Jehovah's Witness drop by the church to see him. I I don't think that's a very common thing. But knowing you're wrong is one, hearing that you're wrong is one thing, accepting you're wrong is another. And I think, uh, as we see here, Jesus' opponents, the Sadducees, were dangerously wrong because they refused to accept how wrong they were. And so, with that in mind, let us turn our attention to the text, Mark chapter 12, verse 18. Mark writes, And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring, and the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. The third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also died. In the resurrection when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Verse 24 Jesus said to them, "Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. But when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven." And as for the dead being raised, Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living, you are quite wrong. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we turn our attention to this text, I pray that this incident of the Sadducees' wrongness uh, would be illustrative of us of the life that is awaiting us. And we confess far too often uh, we draw our understandings of what is to come next uh, too often from the world and from fiction and rather than what is clear in your word. And we do long for the day that we, Uh, live to serve you. We long for the day when we are fully cleansed of all the sin that uh, entangles and and ensnares us and distracts us from service of you. And I pray this morning, if there are any in here uh, who do not know Christ and who do not know your power, that today they would come, uh, that they would experience in their hearts uh, your power through regeneration that they would leave here believers in Christ with the hope of resurrection that awaits all of your children. For this we pray in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen. A little background information on these Sadducees, Uh, you might be thinking, well, they're sad, you see, if you've heard that children's song, Uh, but uh, there's more to them than that. Uh, The Sadducees uh, uh, were, by and large, representative of the priest, the, the priestly guild represented, that they were the Sadducees, going back uh, to uh, the Maccabean rebellion and uh, the high priest Zadok. And so they considered themselves uh, the guardians of their tradition. Uh, The high priest would have come from the Sadducees, those doing service in the temple would have been Sadducees. And it's all the more interesting that those who had the care entrusted to them of teaching the people of God, of regulating the worship of the people of God, had some of the worst theology among the people of God. I think if we're going to find a contemporary parallel, it would be the theological liberalism that arose in the late 19th century that reduced Christianity to the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man without any care or concern of a life uh, to come after this one and without any respect or authority for the word of God and uh, that is who the Sadducees were in their day and so they come to them, Jesus, not believing in a resurrection and this is going to be uh, quite an issue later on uh, in the life of the church. When Paul is on trial by the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he is going to make his defense that he's being put on trial because of his hope of the resurrection of the dead. And so you have these who are responsible for the religious worship of Israel, receiving the sacrifices, and yet they think, well, once you're dead, you're done. Uh, They were like those uh, that Paul warned of in Corinth who denied the resurrection. And as Paul uh, makes abundantly clear, our Christian faith is rooted in the belief of the resurrection. He says, if Christ is not raised, we are of all men most to be pitied if we only have hope in this life. And yet the Sadducees were that. They had hope in this life. Offer up your sacrifices to God, and you might have a good life now, but don't worry about what's to come. And I think we can fall into a a dangerous way of thinking like Sadducees. Uh, I've been to funerals uh, where I've heard the pastors uh, observe the fact that on your tombstone there's going to be uh, two dates, your birth date and your death date, and a dash between, and that you're to live for that dash. Well, I would tell you that's flat folly. There is something far more important than those two dates in the dash. There is the eternity that's going to exist on the other side of your death. Because we believe in the resurrection. Jesus in his teaching and the Gospel of John says there's actually going to be two resurrections. There's going to be a resurrection unto judgment. If you die without Christ... It's not that you're not going to be raised, it's going to, you're going to be raised for judgment. You're going to be raised to experience eternal conscience, torment, and separation from God. And if you're a believer, you'll be raised glorious. You'll be raised to live forever with God. But here you have uh, the equivalent of theological liberals questioning Jesus. And so that gets us to the first way you can be wrong. The first way you can be wrong is to live your life and hold opinions that are contrary to Christ. If you live your life in such a way or think in such a way that you are in disagreement with Jesus, you are very wrong. It would be like going into a court of law and being on trial and being adversarial with a judge. I don't have any personal experience in the criminal judicial world, but I can assure you from what I've heard, it never goes well if you try to pick a fight with a judge. And that is what they are doing. They are going, trying to pick a theological fight with the one that they will stand before in judgment. Not only that, they are trying to pick a Bible fight with the one who the Bible is all about. Jesus would rebuke the Pharisees elsewhere, saying that they searched the scriptures diligently, thinking that in them they have eternal life, but the scriptures testify to him. It would be like going to an author and saying, you know more about the book than the author itself. And so here they have Jesus come to him, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother it's very interesting you have to understand why that they're going to moses because they had a reduced scripture you know we're familiar with the story of thomas jefferson who had his own cut and paste new testament where he cut and pasted the supernatural and just left himself with jesus moral teachings well Uh, The Sadducees were the original cut and pasters, except they just cut and never pasted. They cut everything after Deuteronomy. They did not accept anything after Deuteronomy as scripture and as authoritative for the people of God. And the reason for that was it would be a challenge for their theological convictions. You'll notice if you listen to individuals who try to pick apart the Bible, it's because they have a prior commitment uh, that takes precedence over the Word of God. And so in our own day and age, there are individuals that will try to question uh, Paul's epistles and try to uh, pick what they want and what they don't because they have prior moral commitments that they're trying to fit the scriptures to. And so they have to cut away what doesn't agree with them. And this has happened uh, as long as uh, since the garden. It's what Satan did. Has God really said? And so the Sadducees were following the path of Satan and reducing and questioning the word of God. But here uh, they asked regarding the commands of leveret marriage. If you're familiar with the book of Ruth, that's exactly what happens there. Uh, uh, Ruth's husband dies, and so the nearest family member, as there were no brothers, uh, ends up marrying her. And from that, we have Christ from the line of Ruth and Boaz. It's almost like a bad musical uh, that they're asking about. Maybe you're familiar with Rodgers and Hammerstein, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Uh, You have one bride for seven brothers. And instead of uh, two weddings and a funeral, you have seven weddings and eight funerals. And so they ask the question, we have the command of lever marriage. If a man dies without children, his brother is supposed to marry his wife uh, so that the family name and the family line would continue on. But in this comical account, they say there were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And then they flash forward, and the seven left no offspring. I mean, it just makes for a bad musical. You can imagine uh, if this were a real scenario. Uh, By the time it got to brother four and five, uh, they'd be like, do I really want to do this? No, what happened to all my other brothers? Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. And this is a deceitful, duplicitous question because they don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe this is going to happen. They're just trying to use the argument of marriage to disprove the reality of resurrection. They think this life and this life alone, we have hope. And once this life is done and over, we're done and over with. So not only are they wrong in being... Adversarial with Jesus, uh, the author of life, and the judge to whom they will have to give an account. Well, they are wrong in their view of Scripture and their wrong view of God. As we see in verse 24, Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? And he gets it because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. And it wasn't just that they didn't know the scriptures that they rejected, which they were ignorant of, everything Joshua to Malachi, they were ignorant of because they rejected it and would not accept it as the word of God. All the more interesting, given the fact that the priests were given the responsibility to be the teachers of the people. And they're missing most of the book they're supposed to be teaching the people. They're ignorant of the word of God. They're ignorant of the will of God. They're ignorant of what the resurrection is like. But not only that, they're ignorant about who God is. These are fundamental errors. If you get the Bible wrong and you get God wrong, you're going to get everything wrong. If you have a different Bible and a different God, whatever you call yourself, you're not a child of God. And unfortunately, in 2,000 years of Christianity, what often happens is there are individuals that seek to remake scripture and remake God to fit their own uh, prior assumptions. And when we do that, and when those individuals do that, we find ourselves in dangerous ground because we are wrong about the most fundamental realities of life. It would be as if you were going to aviation school and you were wrong about gravity. Now, if you're a pilot and you're wrong about gravity, you know what's going to happen to your plane. You're going to end up crashing. If you're wrong about scriptures and God, you're going to make a mess of your life. And unfortunately, because the Sadducees... Uh, had the responsibility of being the religious spiritual guides of the people, they made a wreck of everyone else's life too. And so Jesus says, this is why you're wrong. You're ignorant of scripture and you're ignorant of the power of God. They think that resurrection is beyond the power of God and they think it's outside of scripture. And so he continues in verse 25. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, I hope I don't have to tell you this, but Scripture is actually very terse, in short, on what awaits us in heaven. You know, Paul says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, but the Lord has prepared for those who love him. Scripture does go into much more detail on what awaits those outside of Christ. There's much more vivid imagery regarding hell than there is of heaven. But what we do have of heaven is that we understand that heaven isn't a personal paradise. I think far too often when we think of heaven, we have a very hedonistic understanding of heaven. We often criticize the Islamic worldview because they think when they die they're going to go to a paradise with 70 virgins and just live in a physical luxury and yet I've heard Christians that their view of heaven didn't sound far too different. I've heard professing Christians say that they're going to have their own mansion and they're going to have a river of chocolate going through their property and it's just going to be great and glorious. There are many professing Christians that you could uh, talk to them on hours and hours about heaven. And the one key thing about heaven will never come up. You know what makes heaven heaven? What makes heaven heaven isn't that we get everything that we wanted here and now, but we were depriving ourselves of because we thought we were going to get it later. What makes heaven heaven is God is there. If God is the greatest, if God is worthy of our worship and praise right now, which we do imperfectly because of indwelling sin, how much more is he going to be the object of our attention and devotion in heaven? For When they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. This might come as good news or bad news for you. Hopefully it comes as bad news. But you and your wife, if you're married, you will not relate as husband and wife when you get to heaven. You will not relate as husband and wife in the resurrection of the dead. In the new heavens and new earth, you won't be scolding your children to clean up their room. Uh, our relationship will be as fellow saints with those who are fellow saints. And our attention and our devotion is going to be poured out towards God. You know, I, I know it's well meaning, but when we say, talk about wanting uh, our, our first thoughts of heaven, you know, I'm going to go see this family member or that family member, we, we miss The fundamental beauty of heaven. The fact of the matter is, when you die and go to heaven, you know who the first person you're going to want to see is? It's not going to be your spouse who preceded you in death. It's not going to be your mother and father, or your grandmother or grandfather, or heaven forbid, a child that preceded you in death. You know who the first person you're going to want to see in heaven is? Jesus. Jesus. Because if if Jesus isn't there, what's the point? Because Jesus is the one who has loved us and laid down his life for us. And so he says that they're wrong. That in the resurrection, when we rise, we will neither marry nor be given a marriage, but we'll be like the angels. How will we be like angels? What do the angels do right now? The angels serve and worship God. That's what all the good angels do. That their life is an existence of worshiping and serving God. And if that sounds boring to you, you don't know who God is. The sad reality is that there are individuals that will think uh, all of eternity uh, worshiping and adoring and serving God just sounds boring, but they'll be able to sit through a three-hour baseball game and be entertained by that, cheering on people who spend most of their time standing around doing nothing. Well, if we can cheer people who run around with a ball for a few hours, how much more should we be able to worship and adore the God who has done all things well, who has redeemed us from the pit, who has redeemed us from our sin and our folly, and has brought us to himself? Late Pastor R.C. Sproul, uh, in his... uh, treatment on this. Uh, he talks of a time in seminary uh, when he said uh, uh, when a, he had been at a chapel service uh, that was really horrible and he said one of the reformers would be rolling in their graves if they could hear it. And his professor John Gerstner said that y- you are ignorant of the beatific state, our blessed state, See, when we die and go to be with Christ, we enter a world of love, the love of God that we experience now because it is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. But we enter the blessing of drawing near to God. Whatever heaven is about, it is about that. But the Sadducees, because of their unbelief, they thought that the new heavens and the new earth, the resurrection, would be exactly like the old there's a dangerous Christian heresy that uh, actually uh, uh, falls much in long line with that. Uh, there are those who uh, hold to what is called preterism. And they believe regarding uh, the prophecies in the New Testament, the prophecies about resurrection, the second coming of Christ and the new heavens and the new earth, they believe they've all been fulfilled. They actually believe we're living in the new heavens and new earth. And there's a technical term for that. That nonsense. If you think you're in the new heavens and new earth and you're in your resurrected body, pinch yourself really hard. Because you're living a, a, a dream or a lie. If this is our resurrected body, I want a refund. For when they rise from the dead... They neither marry nor are given a marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses? So uh, he's continuing on. Number one, your, your situation is preposterous. Good news for you, if you've uh, been widowed and remarried, you're not going to have to figure out who your wife is, wife one or wife two. We're not going to have to sort all those issues out in the resurrection. Uh, You're going to be a saint, and your orientation, your focus is going to be on worshiping and serving God for all that he has done for you. So, like Alexander the Great and the Gordian Knot, how do you untie this? You cut it. He cuts through the problem, revealing that there was no problem at all. And then he continues on, showing how they're wrong. And as for the dead being raised, something that they denied was possible. As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses? Again, Jesus is being really brilliant here. Jesus held all 39 books of the Old Testament were scripture and authoritative and testified to him. But in his kindness towards the Sadducees, he's meeting them where they're at. He's taking what they'll accept as scripture and going from there. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? So God reveals himself to Moses. And he initiates this encounter by telling Moses who he is, that he is the God of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob. Well, if the Sadducees are right, God could not be when he meets Moses, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If the Sadducees are right, that there is no resurrection, death is the end for everyone, then he can't be their God. They're gone. They don't exist anymore. The Sadducees were very much like the modern-day materialist that says, when you die, that's it. All understanding ceases. The truth is, your soul will go on, and you will face judgment, and you will face resurrection, either unto judgment or to salvation, as Jesus makes abundantly clear throughout the Scriptures. But God says, present tense, I am, not I was, but I presently am the covenant-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There are two trains of thought Jesus is following here. Number one, if you trace the promises that God made to the patriarchs in the Old Testament, if there is no life After death, if there is no resurrection, God is an absolute failure. See, the author of Hebrews uh, makes it abundantly clear that all the Old Testament saints were looking ahead. They had a forward-looking faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, uh, he says But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, if life ends at death, there's no resurrection, there's no judgment, there's none of that, then God was a miserable failure to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Because they didn't receive the promises. They didn't receive the land. They didn't receive anything in their lifetime. And so if God is worthy of worship, which the Sadducees would agree because their very livelihood depended upon it, then he must be the God of the living. If he is a promise-keeping God, he must be the God of the living, which means death is not the end. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Which tells us something very important. Death is not the end. We live in a society that drums into us. Death is the end. That drums into us that there's a finality to death. That once we die, that's it. No more. And while we cognitively know our hope, it is very easy for us to fall into the, the trap of falling in line with that sort of thinking. You see this in many ways in funerals in our day and age. You see this in Christian life. You see this and our uncomfortability in talking about the subject of death. You know, there were generations of Christians before us, they would meditate upon death. There was a Latin phrase in the Middle Ages, memento mori, remember you will die. And for us, that sounds very morbid and introspective, thinking about you'll die, but they would remember that they would die, and they'd remember that there's a judgment, they'd remember uh, that judgment is either unto salvation or damnation, and it's all about what has been done for Christ, and yet we live in a day and time where we don't want to talk about death. We find ourselves uh, with a terminal diagnosis. So We don't want to talk to the doctor about the possibility of death. Well, we ask the doctor, what are the possibilities of life? When our doctors come with bad news, uh, they don't prepare us for the inevitability of death. Uh, they give us the small percentage that we might not face death. Well, the truth of the matter is, statistically, unless the Lord comes in your lifetime, you have a 100% chance of dying. I was tempted to deal with this and the previous subject on taxes together. The only certainties in life. But Jesus might come in our lifetime. And then death won't be a certainty for you. But if Jesus tarries, you will die. And you must know that death is not the end. That there is a resurrection The reason why the Sadducees could not believe in the resurrection is because they didn't think God could do it. They had a small God. I mean, think about how how small of a God that is. Their God was very much like the idols of the, the early church preached against. You know, if you want to have a good life now, you've got to offer up your sacrifices to God, You you want to have everything go easy with you? You've got to keep your sacrifices coming to the temple? But that only works in this life according to the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. And just imagine thinking, telling people, you only have hope in this life. And the Apostle Paul is right. If your hope is only in this life, you are pitiful. He is not the God of the dead, but the living. You are quite wrong. Uh, imagine N- knowing who God is. So e- even with the first five books of the Bible, y- you have a God who could speak with his words, all of creation and a being. And yet somehow raising the dead, that's too hard for him. That would be too hard for God to raise the dead. The God who spoke light into being. Raising the dead is just too hard for him. The God who spoke all of matter into existence. He said, let there be dry land, and there was. Let there be water, and there was. Who spoke every living thing into being. Who formed Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathed his own life into him. And yet somehow... Resurrection is too hard for him. The the fact of the matter was, the God of the Sadducees was not the God of the Bible. They had an idol that that was not the one true and living God. Had they been followers of the one true and living God, they would have rejoiced and accepted Jesus. Had they been followers of God, they would have been, you're right, Jesus, we are wrong. You're right. Teach us. But instead, uh, they would seek to put him to death. So we see uh, we can be wrong in being adversarial to Christ. Uh, There's no shortage of those who profess to be believers in Christ today who uh, seek to be adversarial with Jesus. There are quote-unquote pastors and theologians uh, that will accuse uh, Jesus uh, of any number of errors of thought and practice. Uh, A while back, while we were looking at the healing of the Syrophoenician woman, her daughter, remember Jesus said, it's not fit to give uh, uh, the children's bread to the dogs. There are individuals uh, who call themselves pastors and theologians who would say, well, there you go, Jesus being a racist. He had to repent of his racism. There are individuals that accuse Jesus of misogyny, a poor view of women, you name it. Uh, uh, There's no shortage. And I will tell you, in the great judgment that is coming, it will not go well for them if they continue being an enemy to Jesus you don't want to be in disagreeable towards the judge because because it is him you will have to deal with at the resurrection it is him you will have to stand before in judgment you don't want to be wrong about the scriptures they were ignorant of the scriptures Which tells us that if we're going to uh, have some rightness in our lives, it's going to be formed out of living our lives in accord with this. Remember the parable uh, of the two men who built their homes. One built their house on rock, the other built their house on sand. The rock is the word of God. And so if we're ignorant of the scriptures, if we don't know the scriptures, we're going to build our life on sand. And at the very least, suffer loss in the judgment. And at the very worst, suffer eternal separation from God because we did not know the God of the scriptures. See, when we want to know who God is, we don't start with here. We don't start with human reason and speculation. We don't gather our collective ignorance to pull it together to decide who God is and what he can and cannot do. He has spoken. Had they accepted uh, all of scripture as God's word, they would have known that God could bring life to the dead. We find in Ezekiel that God promises the very thing to Israel, that he will bring them life from the dead. In Ezekiel 37, we find the word of the Lord, which they should have received as such, but in their error they rejected it. And Ezekiel says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the desert, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O oh Lord, you know. And I sat did you see Ben there? And he said, Of course not, God. These bones can't live. You and I can't do anything for them. But Ezekiel says, O oh Lord, you know. O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, so to man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. a great encouragement for us today as we considered how wrong the Pharisees were is that we have a God who can bring life from the dead. He can do that for you right now. You you could have entered this building without hope and without God. And even now, you could receive the gift of eternal life because eternal life is not something that simply happens uh, when we die and are resurrected. Jesus tells us that those who believe have present tense eternal life. That resurrection life uh, that uh, we enjoy for all eternity begins Now it begins by not being adversary with Christ but surrendering our life to Christ. By believing in him and accepting the free gift that has been made possible through his perfect life, death, and resurrection. So you might have come in church this morning feeling dead inside dead and separated from god but i tell you that god can save you god can put life in you and that life will not end when you draw your last breath that that life will bring you uh to the other side of the grave when he opens your grave up if you know now that he is lord and that he is savior let's go to the lord in prayer Father, as we come to this time of invitation, I pray that if there are any in here among us who have entered in dead, who have entered in here dead in their sins and trespasses, that they would come to see their need for Christ. That you would open their eyes and open their hearts to their need for Christ. And that they would call upon him and be saved They would know the eternal life that begins now and that will be ours through all of eternity. And for those of us who are your people, who are believers, I pray that we would be encouraged by this fact, that though our physical bodies may have a day when they draw their last breath, that death is not the end for us, but that you've promised us a resurrection to come. And in that resurrection, we will give you Uh, The worship of the, we have longed to give you now a worship that is unaffected by our remaining sin. A worship that is not distracted by the cares of this world. And so we long for that day when we are with you forever. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, for this we pray in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.